Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am here today with Steve Westenra, an author that I met on Blue Sky, actually. I, I sent out a um, tweet, I guess, yeah. um, <laughs> on, on Blue Sky um, <laughs> a few weeks ago asking for um, guests um, on the podcast. And Steve emailed me and said that he would love to come on and um, chat and visit about books and life and all sorts of stuff. So we kind of... Um, Got started um, a few minutes ago, got got talking about the morality of the world and uh, finally <laughs> decided that since we could probably sit for hours and talk about that, um, that we should probably hit record and talk about the morality of books instead. So <laughs> we <laughs> so we are going to talk books. We're going to talk life. We're going to talk everything in between. So grab your tea, grab your wine, grab your laundry, Caroline, <laughs> and we're going to get started. Awesome. Steve, how are you today? I am doing pretty good, actually. Yeah, I, I am just getting over a cold. So if I start coughing randomly and, you know, have a fit or something, like, I guess either edit it out or leave it in for people who have coughing fetishes. I don't know. I, I'll <laughs> but... do my best to mute or something because I, I have tried to learn how to edit. Um, no clue. So <laughs> I don't I don't usually edit. I usually just upload as it as it records. So if you start <laughs> coughing, um, I I may just stop recording and split uh, split the recording. So I hope you um, I hope you don't start coughing because that's <laughs> I mean, never fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I, get through a, oh, sorry. Continue. Oh, no, go ahead. I, ma- I managed to get through a, a lecture the other day. With it, uh, without coughing, like at least you know excessively, I suppose. So fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, I I had to um, not record um, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think it was, because I had managed to catch a cold and had yeah. it for like a week and a half, and was downing meds and vitamin C and like all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and sounded horrible and finally just you know I was like I I can't record today I just can't do it and so you know just opted not to record that day and you know gave myself a chance to recover and you know all of that so you know I I completely get it I do hope that you (laughs) are are mostly recovered um yes Yes. <laughs> I, I have gotten I've gotten those little tickles, you know, in the back of your throat where yeah, I, have, I have coughed so hard that it's made me gag. Mm, um, oh, God. Those, <laughs> yeah. oh, those are Not never good. fun. Um, 
so that I don't wish that on anyone. So I do, I do hope that, um, you are recovered enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mostly, mostly fine. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just being dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? Authors are allowed to be dramatic. Exactly. That is what allows you to create these amazing stories for the rest of us. We're all leave this at hurt. So yes, absolutely. So um, real quick, um, before we jump into um, all the book talk, uh, let us know just a little bit about yourself, um, when you started writing, why you started writing, and just one or two things that inspire you. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So a little bit about myself. Uh, my my pen name is Steve uh, Hugh Westenra. Um, some of you may recognize that last name uh, that I stole from Dracula, uh, Lucy Westenra. Um, she's the the one, uh, the woman who gets bitten first. Um, Mina's friend. She has all these suitors and stuff. I should probably stop rambling about Dracula. Um, and the Steve. Well, <laughs> I, we can I always like... we can always talk Dracula in Perfect. in just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and the Steve part came from uh, a novelization of, of of Resident Evil and a character I randomly liked in that. I just mentioned that because I think it's kind of funny and and like ridiculous and silly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I am a Canadian writer, um, who grew up in Newfoundland, Canada. Some of you may know of that province from like come from away. Um, although I'm currently living in Montreal in Quebec and, uh, what I do there is I'm, I'm actually a PhD candidate, PhD researcher and lecturer at the university. Um, so my thesis looks at like uh, marginalized reclamations of monster characters. So queer people identifying with vampires, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Jewish werewolves, like, you know, it kind of runs the gamut. Um, and uh, teach courses like uh, religion and its monsters, uh, magic, witchcraft and religion, the history of Satan, all of this kind of like slightly spooky shit. <laughs> it's Perfect kind of... for October, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's sort of what I do in, uh, you know, uh, that's that's my sort of daytime disguise, I suppose, like if I have a, a kind of secret heroic identity or something. Um, and I, I'm an author of uh, horror primarily and fantasy. Uh, I'd say mostly fantasy, um, but usually there's a little bit of a horror element that kind of creeps in there um, in my work. And uh, what else should I say about myself? I'm, I'm trans, um, which we were, we were talking about this before. Um, you know, so there's, there's usually a kind of queer element to my stuff and to a lot of the books that I read. Um, and inspirations, that was the, the other part, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so lots and lots of stuff. Uh, the, the aforementioned Dracula. Um, I guess, like, I always kind of wanted to write since I was a child. Um, I saw my mom doing it. And uh, I used to write pretty, pretty terrible stories um, as a as a child, and uh, it that basically the terrible story writing continued up to now when I still write terrible stories as an adult, <laughs> of, of questionable um, you know competence, I suppose. Um, so I'm very self-flagellating, as you may have noticed. Um, but uh, yeah, like. Um, my inspirations, they, they tend to come from all over the place. Um, so, you know, obviously I, I, am inspired by a lot of other writers, a lot, a lot of other books. Um, and my tastes tend to be pretty eclectic, uh, actually. So like I read, 
um, a lot of uh, sort of literary classics, uh, that kind of stuff, um, but also obviously like genre, genre fiction from the genres that I write, uh, as well as some outside of that. So, you know, like I'll most recently, you know, I've started to dip my toes into romance a little bit more, um, but, uh, you know, fantasy, science fiction, horror, uh, more speculative leaning literary stuff I really like. Um, but a lot of my inspiration also comes from like visual media. Um, I think I'm a very visual writer in a lot of ways. Um, I found sort of a lot of video games I played uh, at a relatively relatively young age, sorry to be quite uh, inspirational for me in terms of the way I like to craft uh, a sense of atmosphere, or at least that I'm hoping to. So like Silent Hill, if you've ever heard of that series. I have. I've never actually played it, but I went and saw the first Silent Hill movie uh. and I didn't find it particularly creepy until it got towards the end that's fair <laughs> and once it got towards the end I was like yeah okay won't be watching this again <laughs> are you thinking of maybe am I allowed to say things about gory stuff on here is that okay um, yeah, the only thing that um, I try not to do on the podcast is cuss. Yeah. So, okay, oh, sorry, yeah. I, I think I did, I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> I yeah. haven't heard you cuss yet, so oh, yeah. okay. not, <laughs> since, not since we hit record. Before we hit record, you did, and I, I did okay. too, but no, not since we hit record, so you're good. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best, because I've been told by my supervisor that I swear like a trucker, which I didn't realize. I think it's just a Newfoundland thing. <laughs> I'm fairly sure truckers would be embarrassed by mine, so yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, so so the skin ripping scene was kind of where, what I was going to ask if that was the one. Yeah, okay, you're nodding, yeah. <laughs> that that would be, that would be it, yep. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a fan, yeah. I I'm not really not really a horror fan anyway yeah um i i watched i like things that make me question uh. i don't i don't like i don't like stories that i can figure out right away same. oh yeah same um yeah. <laughs> i you know the the one exception to that was the haunting the movie okay. from from the late 90s yes um with Catherine zeta jones owen wilson yes yeah. <laughs> love that movie and i i had that movie figured out within first 30 minutes right i i leaned over to my friend and i went so and so is blah 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 <laughs> and, and I'm sure you can fill in the blanks because I'm not going to spoil the movie for anybody who's no, never no, seen it. Not. Yeah. <laughs> and when the movie ended, my friend looked at me and went, how did you figure that out? Mm. <laughs> and I was like, and I just looked at him and I went, you didn't? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but to this day, that remains one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And I, you know, anytime it's on for free on one of my streaming services, I, yeah. I will sit down and watch it at least once or twice. Oh, it's wonderful. And so, but I don't particularly like horror movies. I, I'm not really a fan. The first Saw movie 
<laughs> is one of the exceptions to that. It's very good, but only the first movie. Only, only the, the first, first movie. movie. Any and did you see that there's a number ten out? I did, and people are rewatching all the old ones, and like that caused me then to go rewatch one of the. I think it was like number three or something. And I was like, no, this is just as bad as it was when I was forced to watch it the first time. <laughs> right. I think I've seen yeah. through. I think I've seen through five. I think I've seen yeah, through five. The same for me, yeah. By the time I got to five, I was just kind of done. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, there's only so many things that you can do with this. Yeah. But but with the but with the first movie, mm-hmm. I had no clue. Like yeah. I questioned and second guessed and questioned and second guessed through the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> and when it was over, it was still the big WTF like yeah. at the end. And so, you know, that's one of the the few like horror type mystery thriller right. movies that I you know, just I could not figure it out. Yeah, I think you know. I think the thing about that one too is it's such a sharp, simple concept, and that's really. Uh, I, I'm always really impressed in like horror, especially when someone does something like that. That just like it doesn't need to kind of be dressed up in all of this sort of like overcomplicated, uh, almost nonsense. I suppose that, and that's like kind of how the I felt. Scream movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, they get increasingly like that. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, like what bugged me about the later Saw movies is they think they're so smart. Like they really, really are committed to the fact that they think they're deeply intellectual on some level and they're just so not. <laughs> and like, um, and the acting's not great and, you know, but I feel like the actors were kind of directed to act that way is the other part of it. Like, cause I've seen some of them in other things and they're perfectly fine. Um, but that first movie, yeah. Like I, I think part of it is the simplicity of the concept and it really just like, it lets itself breathe in a way that um, kind of sucks you in a little bit. Um, but I love those puzzle box type things as well, right? Where there's something to figure out. Um, and I too was that, I was that annoying friend when uh, I was a teenager, possibly less so now, um, that like, you know, I'd watch the first 10 minutes of a movie and, you know, I guess my brain had absorbed enough kind of uh, tropes and cinema or like, narrative uh narratology (laughs) all these kinds of things from from reading and watching stuff that i'd be like oh this is what's going to happen next this is what this character's role is in the story this is what's going to happen at the end like it's all sort of like you know i could see it all laid out and my friends would get quite irritated (laughs) with me are you still there Okay, everybody, I'm really sorry about that. Skype decided to be a pain. So um, we, um, I had to stop recording for just a second. Um, it managed to cut Steve off. So um, someone has to. Um, Steve is going to real quick uh, just kind of catch you up on what he was talking about uh, before Skype decided to be a pain in our respective rear ends. And then we're going to continue the conversation. So, um, 
Steve, you were talking about um, being annoying uh, watching yes. with people. So yeah, maybe, go ahead. Maybe, maybe Skype took issue with like what I was saying. <laughs> but actually like absorbed the spirit of one of my irritated friends and is getting revenge. Um, <laughs> that would be entirely possible. <laughs> new short story idea. Um, so yeah, like basically I was just saying like kind of similar to, to your experience. Like I, I was a very irritating teenager because um, I always at the beginning of movies or, or sometimes books or, or you know, whatever, whatever it was, um, I could see how things were going to develop in the narrative so, like, you know, stuff would happen at the beginning of the story and I would be able to say, oh, it was this character uh, because of certain choices that were made uh, in the writing or the directing. Um, and, you know, you get you develop an eye for certain tropes after a while. And I think ultimately that's that's all it was, really. It's not like like I'm some psychic person or something, but um, you never know. I mean, you never you never know. I, I mean, yes, yes. Third eye appears. Psychic author. <laughs> Yeah, so so I used to irritate people when I was a teenager when I watched movies with them because they'd just be like, "Well, it's ruined now," because they'd they'd assume I was right, and so <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's so funny because you sound like my husband. <laughs> um, I my husband does that, and oh. we will be watching a movie and. He and I, we've been together for seven years, married just under five, like August, mm. uh, August, geez, October oh, wow. 20th uh, will Congrats. be our year, five-year married anniversary. Ah. Ah. <laughs> and um, so we've been together seven years and we have lived together for about six and a half Um and I know that was really quick to move in together, you guys, but I swear <laughs> there's a story behind it. Um, and we have been like completely happy for, you know, for the whole time. So, um, but we would be watching a movie or a TV show and he would just pop off with, you know, the killer's this person or this person's <laughs> going to be next or, yeah. you know, and for the first probably four years or so, um, it took me a while. Um, I, I will admit it took me a while. Um, I, I would get so irritated <laughs> and, you know, we would have these constant discussions where I would just look at him and go, I like the illusion of not knowing. Right. Cause, he, cause he'd look at me and he'd go, come on, tell him you didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm like, I might have guessed, I said, but I like the illusion of not knowing. Right. I like, yeah, just, that's you know, I like the ignoring the fact that I might know and yeah. just yeah. letting the story play out. And so, you know, after about four years or so, I, you know, started and, you know, I would tell him, stop stop doing that stop yeah. you know I like the illusion of not knowing and you know it four years and after four years I finally realized this is not going to stop yeah it, it's just not <laughs> and you know I I finally realized that <clears throat> I needed to make a choice right <clears throat> that I could either spend the rest of my life being irritated about it mm. or Murder I him. could just learn to live with it yeah because it you know my my husband has 
He has a very high IQ. He is very, very, very smart. Right. And along with that very high IQ and that, those, you know, very big smarts, there's no filter when it comes right, to something okay. like that. It is like, it is in the brain, out the mouth. It just goes, and yeah, it, yeah. You know, he, you know, I, I learned and I had to come to terms with the fact that he literally could not control that that part of what he was doing and right. you know it's i i had to learn to live with it yeah and you know while i have not necessarily come to celebrate <laughs> that Having, having things ruined for you <laughs> because, I, because I do still like the illusion of not knowing yeah. um I you know I I have learned that you know part of loving him and part yeah. of being with him is that just that's, that's part of the package I mean yeah, yeah. it's it's just it's not gonna change and you know i i can either spend the rest of my life irritated (laughs) or i you know and so you know after seven years or so um you know and this will be movies that neither one of us have ever seen before right yeah yeah and you know he will just like pop off and then he'll second guess himself and he'll Google it. Right. To see if he's right. And, oh, he'll, no. and he'll ask me. And he'll ask me, he'll be like, Do you want to know if I'm right? And I'm like, You probably are. But no. And you know, and the only time that he'll really say something is if yeah. he's not right. Ah, but then that's you know? also a kind of spoiler, right? So not really, because he yeah. won't like because if he's not right. Then he'll keep his mouth shut. Right. Oh, well, that's good. That's right. Because he knows what happens. And then, you know, and so it's like this, you know, we've, we've found this like weird sort of like homeostasis kind of situation (laughs) where every once in a while I will be afforded the illusion of not knowing yeah. And he will be afforded <laughs> the foreknowledge that he craves. Yeah. And we're both we're both good. That's good. That's, That's good. good. I mean, I think there's something really important there about like, you know, our experiences and how they differ from those of others and just sort of allowing other people to experience things in their own way, right? No no matter mm-hmm. what that way is. Like as long as it's obviously not harmful, you know, I can't see how someone enjoying a movie in a different way would potentially be harmful, but um you know like just just being aware and conscious of the fact that people are going to read our books and sort of come at them from very different ex- perspectives and wanting very different things from their reading experience than either as authors we might intend or as fellow readers we might ourselves um you know value more right so yeah well, and you're you know and as as readers you know cuz obviously I'm I'm coming coming to a book as a reader and not an author as a reader and 
I, I will say specifically as a cis white female reader, right. Uh, I will, I will get very specific on that. We, you know, who a cis white female author who grew up in the South Midwest, uh, because my, <laughs> my life experiences are, are very, very, very different right. from say a black queer trans male who grew up in New York city. Yeah. You know, oh, absolutely. My, my life experiences are going to be very different from someone like that. And so when I'm reading a book, you know, my perspective on the book is going to, you know, my life experiences are going to color my experience of that book. And, you know, so even going so far as to when I am reading a book and the character is not specifically described as a certain race or a certain color. And I am hugely guilty of this is something that I, I'm certainly proud of, but it happens all the time. If a, if a book character is not specifically described as a certain color or a certain race or a certain, um, you know, ethnicity or, you know, anything like that, my brain colors that as as me as my race my color and so you know my life experiences are going to color that story differently than than someone else who had different life experiences oh absolutely you know that that black male trans um from new york city is you know, going to read that same book, not specifically described as a certain color, certain ethnicity, certain whatever, could reading that character as a black man, as a black woman, as, you know, as whatever. And so our, our experiences give perspective to those stories Oh yeah. Like, and I I think absolutely like, you know, when we're uh, picturing things, when we're imagining, uh, as you say, some, uh, a a character um, who's, who's not particularly described uh, in a, in a book, um, you know, whether that be physically or in terms of, of their perspective or beliefs even, or, or values, we do tend to, to fill in the blanks with whatever it is we default to as kind of the norm that we're habituated to. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not even just, I would say, our perspective, like, you know, okay, like, um, I'm a white trans man from Canada or something like that. It's it's also sort of like uh, the people in our vicinity, too, right? So especially when you're a child, if that's like, if you live in a very close-knit, but say small family like I did, you know, most of the people that you're interacting with look exactly like you. So, um, you know, with with a sort of like, with no moral valence to that, you're going to kind of then fill in those blanks with what you're used to, what you're, you know. And so I think that that in a way, I mean, that's a, an argument too for sort of obviously expanding, um, you know, what we read, uh, who we read, um, but also just our social circles as well. And, and yeah. obviously um, the internet has made that vastly more possible than it was in the past um like having come from a pretty insular place i grew up on uh, an island province um 
where the population was just like overwhelmingly white right so um you know like it, it's really opened up subsequently like there's a lot more kind of racial and cultural diversity there than there used to be uh which is a very good thing um but like yeah it's <laughs> we we do tend to fill in the blanks i think with yeah well and i i think that you know going to your point of you know the the internet making it possible to diversify our reading i um you know i i have been guilty um of reading mostly um white authors right got that. um not not through <laughs> not really through any deliberate choice yeah. um but it's you know readers they want to see themselves in what they read and right, right. you know i white cis female and you know so by finding the internet finding the indie community especially the indie author community yeah that, that allows me the opportunity to make friends with people of you know authors of different colors from me of different races from me of different genders from me of different you know identities all across the spectrum right yeah and you know find these various books and find these various stories that allow me to expand my own experiences and yeah. <laughs> expand you know my own knowledge base yeah so that you know so that when you know i am talking to someone you know i'm not i don't feel insulated i don't feel sheltered you know and yeah. because it's if we're not careful it's entirely possible to go through the world and go through life only reading one type of oh book. yeah and i think especially when you look at like i mean it, it's um like i think you're absolutely right that there's a, an innate subconscious tendency to probably seek out um like works that feel familiar to us in some way um, like you said, that kind of reflect to some degree our experience, possibly, or it might just be what whatever we're used to, right? So, you know, I didn't grow up reading a lot of, um, well, any trans books, um, because they just weren't available, right? Like when I yeah. when I was young, um, and they're really only starting to be more widely available um, to that age range um, and, now. And if they and if they were available, yeah, they were. I mean, it was very. It would have been considered very specialized. Oh yeah, and you even been, you know yeah. if you wanted if you wanted a a trans book by a yeah. trans author, then you would have to go to like the adult bookstore, you know, or whatever, right. like the specialized bookstore. And you know, Amazon has just made that just wonderfully available, and it's wonderful. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I think, um, you know, generally sort of like the, the ability for people and as you say, especially indie authors, like, um, uh, 
many of whom are sort of marginalized in some way or coming from an underrepresented community, a community that is that is underrepresented in mainstream publishing. Um, you know, there's there's the possibility for them, yeah, to get their stuff out now in a way that just wasn't possible before. And it's not that those books didn't exist, but like you say, they were either, you know, specialized, hard to find, uh, came out from smaller presses or uh, had a limited uh, distribution. Um, so, you know, like you say, you couldn't just sort of order something in very easily. Like having grown up, um, I, I'm 37, I, I grew up in the 90s primarily. And, you know, if I wanted some uh, weird hoity-toity rock band CD, I had to go uh, try and order it. And it probably cost $30 to get it ordered in special order. And that was if they could even get it. Um, like one of my favorite films, Eraserhead by David Lynch, like it had this mythology about it in our province because you just couldn't get it, right? Like there was one person who had like a VHS tape of it um, who was a, a high school teacher at my friend's high school. And like he only brought it out sometimes to show students because if you, you know, it would wear out because it was a VHS tape and like no one knew if you could get another one at any point and, and DVDs even then weren't as widespread. So like this was the, the scarcity of these ob objects really. Um, so yeah, like for marginalized people, especially that that was harder. Um, but it is definitely getting easier now um, to get that material out there in in one sense. Um, but we're also seeing um, in in trad circles. My impression too, just based on my own experiences and also uh, my friends' experiences. So I have a lot of um, friends who are either querying authors or they are uh, you know represented by agents and, and are traditionally published. Um, that marginalized people in traditional publishing are so often pressured by their publishers to write their own marginality toward a, uh, you know, presumed cis straight white audience, right? So to kind of erase things that, that for them more uh, better reflect their authentic lived experiences and replace it with something that can be recognized and expected by the target audience of the publisher. Um, and that kind of flattening, I think, uh, continues to be um, a problem, mostly still suffered, I think, by, by traditionally published authors. Um, although to some extent, uh, even indie published authors, you know, like they fail, face that sort of um, community pressure, right, I think. Right. If this is the stuff that's coming out, then this is what I ought to reflect in my own work. This is what I ought to do as well. Um, so I think th there are those difficulties still in order to be more marketable. Yes, <laughs> the dreaded word. Yeah, I I, I tell, you know, I've, I've said this before in, in other podcast episodes that one of the things that I love about indie books, especially indie and self-published books, is the, the very thing that makes them not marketable. 100%. <laughs> is what makes them marketable. Yep. And, you know, I, I would love, you know, and that's part of the reason why I started, you know, I didn't necessarily start the picky bookworm. <laughs> with indie books in mind. Um, right. But when I when I joined the indie community and started, you know, finding the self-published books and started finding the indie books and started reviewing them more often. And, you know, when I finally started this podcast, 
um, almost three years ago, um, December of 2020, uh, was my first, very first podcast episode. Can you believe three years? Wow. Um, <laughs> um, cannot believe it's been that long. Um, but you know, one of the things that I wanted to do with this podcast, especially was introduce indie authors to the world that, yeah. they, that they might not find otherwise and introduce amazing indie books to the world that they might not find otherwise. And, you know, because the very thing that makes indie books not marketable is what makes them marketable. The, the genre blending, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the diversity um, in, in the storylines, the taking tropes and turning them on their heads and, you know, allowing, allowing more readers of more identities to see themselves in the stories instead of that, you know, queer trans black man from New York city right. being forced to read books constantly about straight white men from the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. With whom we've all come to identify also. Cause that was the other thing about what you were saying earlier that I thought was really interesting was just, you know, like we, we reach for that book that, um, that looks like us, but I think we also, like as people who um, are used to most books being about sort of uh, a cis straight white able-bodied man or a cis straight white able-bodied woman, we reach for those books subconsciously, no matter our own identities to some degree, because we've been habituated to it. Uh, yeah. it it's been sort of uh, taught to us. And we, we, you know, you hear this in conversations around sort of like men writing women and women writing men a lot. Uh, that sort of women are taught from a very young age to empathize very much uh, with men's lived experiences. Uh, But men aren't, uh, and women aren't either, encouraged to empathize with women's experiences, right? Um, And so, you know, part of that, you know, it's it's really a shame because, it's way more than a shame, um, because what it does is it encultures us to kind of start thinking about um, only one type of person as a person right? That sort of label of personhood of, you know, well, who has personality and who has, uh, is, is worthy of having their stories told and who's worthy of rights and who's worth, you know, like it, it will then start to default toward whatever that particular identity, uh, which just happens to be, you know, straight white men, uh, straight white able-bodied men or, you know, whatever. Um, like it, 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 you know, is going to default to that. Right. So, Yeah. Well, and it takes, you know, a lot of times I think it takes a, that conscious choice to, you know, look for those books that you wouldn't normally read otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it, it does, I mean, it takes a conscious choice. It, it does, um, you know, and because if I were to look f- at the books that I have reviewed on my website, I would, I would probably be highly disappointed. Um, right, right. And, you know, I, you know, the, there's a lot of books that I have read recently that I enjoyed and I loved and yeah. I and, you know, and had that diversity that I, that I have been looking for at the same time, 
there are books that I cannot, um, through a choice of my own, to review on my website because I do not review books with explicit sexual situations. Okay, yeah, yeah. On, on my website. Um, and, <coughs> you know, that's, that is one thing that a lot of, um, I, I will say a lot of queer books, a lot of queer romances do have those, those types of situations yeah. in them. I'm not going to disparage that. I'm not going to say, don't write those. Um, I, I'm not going to judge that at all. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, <laughs> plenty yeah. of plenty of straight books have got them too. Um, you know, so while I, you know, have been attempting to make that conscious choice, right? um, it is more difficult to find the, the books that, that I can review and that I can promote, um, because of that. So, yeah. Um, you know, if, if anybody out there, <laughs> I, I will warn some books that don't have all that stuff in it, please let me know. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I can know. find your books. Yeah. I can think of one off the top of my head. Like, like, as long as you're okay with, I guess things getting like, like there is technically, I, I guess sex, but if I remember correctly, it's fade to black kind of thing. Like there's more of an implication. Fade to like black, yeah, fade to black is fine. It's just not okay. like, like the, the, you know, '90s smut with Fabio on the cover. Right. Um, not, you know, you know, he ripped her <laughs> bodice off, and you know those those types yeah. of those types of stories. Um, you yeah. know, my my friend Gabe's uh, book. Um, as much as I loved that book, I yeah. loved that book. Both books. Um, yeah. The Lion and the Lion and the Dahlia. Um, I I will recommend those books forever like all yeah. day every day read them please read them buy them you know. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean I it took me a year um of the orchid and the lion sitting in my kindle right <laughs> and Abe asking me and bugging have me you read it? have you read it when are you going to read it I and uh-huh. I finally this past February, I finally promised him that I would read The Orchid and the Lion for yeah. um, for Romance Month. And because yeah. his, he had, you know, part of the reason why I struggled so much with, with reading it, I had two reasons. One was when he would market his book, he mm. market, marketed, I struggle so much with that word as erotica okay and um i i just don't read much like full-on erotica i just don't right yeah yeah and you know i i will read you know the occasional um but you know i just you know and part of that is i don't review it really for my website so i just don't read much of it yeah hard to prioritize in that you know you know, yeah. and so that's, that's reason number one. And then reason number two was I, because I don't read much in, in that genre and because he's such a good friend of mine, I didn't want to hate it. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a real fear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it was yeah. such it was such a a real fear of mine. You know, mm. because he, you know, people would talk on Twitter all the time, and it got so much hype. You know, from but you right. know, all, the, all of the hype that it got was dangerous from people who read the genre. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And so, you know, people would just, they loved the book so much and, you know, I'm like, but it, you know, he had a sale where he put it out for free. And so I'm like, I'll, I'll grab it for free. Okay, fine. Yeah. And I had my Kindle for a year and I struggled so much to, you know, and so finally, after a year of him bugging me and bugging me and bugging me, I finally promised him that I would read it for romance month this past right. February. Dude. <laughs> I could not put it down. That's wonderful. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> put it down. And I think I read it in like less than three days. I yeah, mean, oh, that's and <laughs> it, you know, and so he and I were talking about it when I when I finally finished reading it. He and I were talking about it, and I'm like, I don't think this counts as erotica. <laughs> and he was like, he goes, yeah, he said, I, I've actually had a couple other people tell me that. <laughs> he said, so I've actually started marketing as erotic romance. Okay. And, you know, because to, to me, erotica is the story revolves around the sex. Right, right. That to me, that's, that's erotica. And in The Orchid and the Lion, and then later in The Lion and the Dahlia, the, there was the story and the, the sex just kind of fit into the story. Right. Yeah. And, you know, parts of it, you know, were a little bit gratuitous, but it was, you know, <laughs> it wasn't done as just... I'm going to throw this in there. Right. It was done with deliberate intentionality behind it, it sounds like. Exactly. You know, there, you know, it was, it was fit seamlessly into the story. It wasn't just, you know, it didn't just feel like a collection of sex scenes with like tiny bits (laughs) of paragraph of story, you know, and so, you know, he has since started marketing as, you know, erotic romance rather than, you know, just pure erotica. Yeah. And um, so I completely forgot where I was actually going with this. But, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, the point is um, I won't, you know, I, I can't review the book on my website okay because i you know because i've chosen not to review books you know with that those types of situations yeah he he knows that i talk about the book all the time (laughs) here on the podcast i've actually had um i've had him on um guests three times um i've had him on two uh, we've come on, he's come on twice to talk um, about specific books. So I've had him yeah. on five times. And um, so, and I have a, a candle um, inspired by the orchid and the lion. 
Oh, so, <laughs> so cute. Um, oh, it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, it's <laughs> probably my biggest seller, <laughs> my orchid and the lion. Um, and it's the one book that isn't reviewed on my website. Go figure. <laughs> um, yeah. People smell it and they're like, Oh my God, it's amazing. I have to have this book. <laughs> Does the book um, smell like this? <laughs> it's, um, well, the, yeah. the name of the candle <laughs> is, um, the orchid and the lion, obviously, but the scent yeah. is a uh, sea salt and orchid. Oh, that's lovely. And, oh, it's amazing. Um, But yeah, the name of the book is The Orchid and the Lion by Gabriel Hargrave. Yeah. And yeah. it's um a genre blend. I tell people it's sci-fi, uh, queer, dystopian, sci-fi, erotic romance. Right. I think is, that's I think cool. It's, yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, and it's so good. <laughs> But I mean, and you know, yeah. I I will literally tell people I am the perfect person to tell you to read this book <laughs> because it is not one of my preferred genres. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so if I am telling you to read this book, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Um, well, it suggests a broader appeal, I think, too, because like there's always <laughs> with that. Um. Like, it's always really nice to get reviews from people, I think, who don't, who aren't sort of really entrenched in the genre that you're writing in. Like, that's always a bit exciting because it means there's something else about it that, like you say, like, it, you know, it must be good, right? So it has that feeling to it. You also want your your work to kind of, um, to find its home with the genre uh, readers uh, of the genre you're writing in. Because, like, if it only attracts people who don't read the genre, then maybe you're you're not writing in the genre you think you are is sort of like the other side of it. Um, but if, so I find that really, really cool and really interesting. Um, like the sex thing is so interesting too, though, because like I, I think there's just so much to unpack there. Um, like um, I will warn, um, probably my horror comedy, um, The Erstwhile Tyler Kyle, which is is coming out on October 13th for like marketing purposes on the podcast. I guess I should awkwardly. And, Lou, and we are actually going to, yeah, we're actually going to talk about that here in just a minute, but you can go ahead and finish. Yeah. That. So like that, that one does have sex scenes in it and they're very explicit. And I did that intentionally because like um, some of the sex scenes are, are very disturbing uh, for sure. Um, but I, there were reasons I wanted to show those things on page uh, just in terms of um, what it means for the character in those relationships. Cause I think a lot of character can come out through sex scenes. They're not necessary in every book. I absolutely don't think that um, a lot of the books that are my favorites don't have any sex scenes, uh, but uh, there are also like consensual male, male sex scenes in the book. Um, and I really, really fought hard to, to keep those, um, like at the stage when I was querying the book still before I decided to self-pub because so often trad pub will push back against um, explicit queer sex scenes specifically and people tend to uh, subconsciously read those scenes as more explicit than their straight equivalents so um, I really didn't want uh, that to be a fade to black sex scene I really wanted that to be on the page I thought it was important um, like I, I had a reader sort of read the book who who was very, very kind and a great reader and helped me in lots of ways. Um, but I think subconsciously like read these, um, you know, essentially a sexual assault scene uh, that was straight passing. And then also the consensual male male sex scene and flagged the male male consensual sex scene as explicit, but the sexual assault that was straight passing as not being as explicit. 
and I think there's a subconscious like um, perception that's creeping in there. So I can understand why a lot of queer writers do want to sort of like make sure that that material finds its way into books. Um, while at the same time, like you're absolutely right, like there's also a pressure for uh, for something to be considered queer, for example, for um, like often there's a pressure for writers to insert a romance or to insert sex or like, you know, the character isn't queer unless they're in a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship. But of course, that's not true. Like, you know, single queers exist as well. So <laughs> like, you know, singles and- exist everywhere, guys. Just exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I did want to recommend one book then uh, by an indie author who's also in Spiffbo like me, uh, R.K. Ashwick. Uh, I'll send you the links afterwards. The Rival Most Vile. It's a, I, from what I remember, um, the sex scene is fade to black. There's like one and it's it's like very tame from what I remember. Um, but uh, it's a cozy fantasy um, about rival potion masters in a fantasy town and like it's title is super oh, funny yeah it's oh, really you, you sold me with cozy fantasy i yeah. love that <laughs> um i do um i do want you to um do me a favor as well uh, for yeah. your um for your dark horror comedy yeah. um my friend cat um cat velour she um reviews a lot for the picky bookworm um oh wow and she she reviews a lot of horror um and so um she doesn't review anything with explicit uh, sexual situations for the picky bookworm right she will review in other places um books with those situations so if you'll go to let me let me think of where to my <laughs> review uh, to my review policies page. Yeah, if you'll go down to the bottom um, of my review policies page on my website, there's actually a contact form where you can contact Cat directly and send her an email um, and uh-huh. let her know a little bit about your book. Don't tell her too much. She okay. likes to go into books as blind as possible. <laughs> um, but um, just let her know that. Um, you do have this book and that um, it's not appropriate for review on yeah. uh, on my website, um, but that she might be interested um, to review oh, fantastic. in other places um, and, sh- um, and send her a link so that she can, um, so that she can check it out. Um, so I don't know if um, she accepts free copies or not, but that might be uh, something right. that yeah, um, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, as you may have noticed, I'm not like but a great yeah, she is, she's a huge indie or indie horror. Uh, nice. So, um, and she does not shy away from anything. Cool, um, cool. So that um, and that book, um, from what <laughs> from what little I've heard, um, that book sounds right up her alley. So um, definitely nice. contact her and um, let her know that um she might be interested in that one so right right again i I don't know if she accepts free copies or not but uh, she might so um Uh, that is definitely something to look into so yeah um okay so any do you have any other books other than um your spooky dark fantasy yeah Yeah, so I've got um, my other book that actually, I guess, was my debut. It seems so weird to say that just because it came out, like, 
in May versus my other book that's coming out in October. So there's not really much of a temporal distance between the two of them. But um, it was also my first, to be fair, this one I'm about to talk about was also my first finished novel. So it is genuinely, you know, my first finished novel. Um, Yeah. Um, So it's my Spiffbo 9 entry, um, which is the self-published fantasy blog-off run by Mark Lawrence. If for I guess for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, it's a big self-published fantasy competition uh, that usually starts in May every year, runs for a year. There's only one winner, but all of these different self-published authors enter their books and, and get judged and torn to shreds sometimes. <laughs> but most, I, I joke because most of the judges like were like, I should say, all of the ones I've seen so far have been super kind. So like they they're not really tearing anyone a new one. Um, but uh, yeah, so my book is The Wings of Ashtaroth, and uh, it's a kind of queer political epic fantasy set in a secondary world that's based on uh, ancient Carthage and the ancient Mediterranean. It's very different than my um, my queer horror comedy. Um, I really feel like I have that book. Maybe you do. I, I don't know. <laughs> Did I send it to you? I, I like. But no, I I feel like I saw it for free or something. Oh, probably. Like it could have been like not... on sale. Anyway, go go ahead. Continue. Yeah. I'm going to look through my library see if I can, <laughs> if I actually do have it. No, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll just like read the like blurb here because <laughs> I am terrible at like self promo. Um, so the great city of Kamasin is at a crossroads. A powerful empire from beyond the ocean threatens to reignite a centuries old feud. A, a slave rebellion brews in the tangled labyrinth of tunnels beneath the city streets. And Crown Prince Ashtaroth, the city's supposed savior, is considered unfit to rule even by those closest to him. When the high priest burns one of the royal children alive as a desperate offering to the city's absentee gods, it destroys the fragile peace within Kamesin's scheming first family. Seeking revenge for the death of her child, Ashtaroth's mother calls on a powerful demon named Lilith. But Lilith cannot be trusted. Her cruel machinations pit brother against sister and father against daughter, laying waste to Ashtaroth's family. Uh, then Lilith approaches Ashtaroth with a demonic pact of his own, one that could save his people and his home. But between war from without and a revolution erupting within, even a demon may not be enough to keep Kamasin standing. Um, so it's like, excuse me for just like reading the blurb, but I guess because I'm bad at this. Um, yeah. I would have done the same thing. It's totally cool. <laughs> it was like right here. I won't forget it. I won't forget anything. Um, so like I've been kind of marketing it as as a book that's good for uh, fans of like A Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones, but who maybe wanted a bit more of a diverse cast. Um, and people who were interested in kind of that period of history or ancient history in general might also. Um, so it's quite textured. I'd say it's very um, character driven. I know like all writers say that. <laughs> Everyone says their books. Not books really. Be yeah. Surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've read some things and it's like, this was marketed as character driven. I don't know who any of these people are <laughs> like. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think my work genuinely is character driven. Um but the like plot is also kind of you know important too. Um, yeah, like it's I, I tend to write deep POV if anyone's familiar with what that is. Um, so even though Astaroth, the Wings of Astaroth is third person, it's it's very much kind of deep POV. So there's very little um, kind of in the way of uh, the writing acting as an intermediary between the character and the reader. Rather, we're kind of getting the character's raw thoughts. Um, sort of through the through the writing so even though it's not it's basically as close as you can get to first person without being in first person um 
and uh yeah so if you like demons demonology um song of ice and fire uh, uh i would also say uh, lois mcmaster boojold um is another writer uh that my style is probably a bit similar to um her fantasies anyway uh like the curse of chalion that kind of thing um you might like this book <laughs> please check it out <laughs> it looks really interesting i'm gonna definitely add it to my to my wish list oh um, thank you so I, much <laughs> i have um yeah i've got my wish list is so oh god yeah so, yeah <laughs> um and i'm such a mood reader so it, i mean i'll buy a book and it could sit in my kindle for you know a year before i get oh, to it but fair. you know it's yeah um I I had to start telling authors that I don't accept free books. Right. Um, you know, free well, free electronic books. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. Um, because if they want to send me like a signed copy, a signed physical copy, I'm like, I'm not gonna say no to that. No. <laughs> but then okay. um, but then I will go and like buy the the Kindle version um so that my signed copies stay pretty. Um right. and oh I have a huge collection. It's That's I'm wonderful. sitting here looking at it. It's so pretty. <laughs> um but I, you know, because I'm such a mood reader that you know, an author would send me a free a free copy, you know, free Kindle book, and it would sit in my Kindle for like a year to a year and a half. I have one that's like three years old that I still haven't read because I haven't been in the mood for it. And I'm like, 100%. you know, every time I see it, I'm like, I feel so guilty. And, you know, so I had to start telling authors, I can't, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> I would rather buy your book and support you in that way. Right. Um, and, you know, that way, if it takes me three years to read your book, you then at least I bought it and supported you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like anyone who wants a, I will say like anyone who wants a review copy of my book, like there's no pressure to actually review it. Like, <laughs> like I probably like, again, like I'm really bad at this. I'm just like someone expresses interest in my book and I'll be like, these are the eight reasons you probably won't like it. So just so you know, you probably shouldn't read it. And also you don't have to leave a review and also like <laughs> like you just, yeah you yeah. you sound so much like my friend Gabe it's not even funny um <laughs> he he's still you know his as much have as many rave reviews as his books have gotten he still struggles with you know every once in a while he'll still struggle with the you know, that self-doubt of, am I actually a good writer? Yeah, and, oh, same, 100%. You know, it's, yeah. mm -hmm. and I, I think that a lot of that is just humanity, you yeah. know, because yeah. if, if you get to the point that you don't ever doubt yourself, <laughs> please Buster, let me yeah. know how you did it. Yeah. Well, please. I and hold a is, workshop, please. Yeah, doubt is, well, I, I don't think you'd want to never feel doubt, to be honest, because I think, like, if you never regret, if you never feel doubt, there's such, um, like, primary human emotions, like, you're entering kind of psychopathic territory a little bit if you never feel those things, right? Yeah. And most people, like, some people will say they don't feel those things, but they do, really. Like, you know, so um, we we do to a lesser and greater degree, I think. Um, like some people maybe feel it more often and, and that can be very debilitating. Like I've got anxiety and stuff like that. So like, you know, it can definitely be debilitating for me. Um, but 
you know, other, other people don't feel it to that extent. But I think that little bit of doubt, I mean, that's kind of what keeps you honest to some extent, right? Like, yeah, and it keeps you wanting to improve as well. And, and without getting like um, self-centered or full of yourself, right? Because you need a bit of confidence. And sometimes you maybe need a little bit of overconfidence in order to force yourself to do something really scary, like enter a competition or send your book to an agent or or a publisher or, you know, whatever it is, or even start writing. Um, or even but, send a free yeah. review copy to, to a stranger. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm feeling that yeah. right now. That's my right now. It's just like <laughs> it's so hard. And like I sent it to like three people, my horror comedy, I sent to like three people. And uh, they were all like uh, the ones who responded were really, really sweet. Um, and like, but like, I, I can't bring myself to like send it out further because it's like it also gives me flashbacks to the querying process a little bit, even though it's really at its foundation very different. It still feels like that. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> uh, we almost yeah. need it. Almost need it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we're we're almost out of time anyway. So you, I mean, literally almost made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So we are actually almost out of time. Um, <laughs> we actually went a little bit over. Um, oh, we, yeah, because we talked, I think, for about fifteen minutes before we had to switch over to the web, and we're at almost <laughs> an hour. Um on uh recording on the web so i think we're actually over over the hour <laughs> for just a little bit um but it has been an absolute blast um i i look very much forward um to talking with you more and to um to staying friends with you um yeah it, it has been an absolute blast talking with you um, during this time and um i will definitely um put the wings of Ashtaroth on my uh, on my wish list Thank you. For, <laughs> for when I have some book money um I, yeah. I, love, I love the fact that books are a business expense for me uh but business has been kind of slow uh lately so book right uh kind of low um I just need people to you know hire me for editing and book promotion you guys but uh, but yes, it, it has been an absolute blast, uh, Steve. Thank you so much. Um, you thank should you. definitely check out the Orchid and the Lion, the Lion and the yeah. Dahlia. Um, and um, real quick, uh, before we say complete goodbye, yeah. um, let people know where they can find you online to come hang out. Yeah, awesome. So I'm still on uh, Twitter or X or Twitter, Twitterks. I don't know what to call it um at least i for the still time. call it twitter it's, yeah I'm, like I'm mis <laughs> in in homage to our conversation before we hit record i'm misgendering <laughs> <laughs> there we go yeah it, well it's um i i was calling it on, on blue sky I, I called it the site formerly known as or the app for formerly known as bird <laughs> um yeah. So, um yeah um but so i'm on there as, as at steve uh, West Enra, and that's probably where I'm the most active still, at least until um, all of the new bullshit starts, which I think is starting soon. Or sorry, all of the uh, you probably have to it's total okay. is towards the end. I sorry. Okay. <laughs> start start dropping f bombs. It's fine. Um, so I yeah. Um, so I'm on there at least for now. Blue sky. I I believe I'm Steve West Enra on there too. Uh, and I'm Steve Westenra on Instagram, and I'm Steve Hugh Westenra, I think, on TikTok, which I only recently made, and is a different kind of hell site. <laughs> um, 
so far. <laughs> um, do you have, uh, you have a website, I believe, right? Yes. Uh, so that's nice and easy as long as you can spell my name. Uh, it's stevewestenra.com. <laughs> um, yes. And I, I will be sure um, if you can shoot me um, emails um, with the book recommendations uh, that Perfect. you gave me, links to your books and um, links to all of your socials. If you can shoot me an email with all of that, I will be sure to get all of that in the show notes uh, for everybody. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I have started, instead of creating web pages, I have started creating blog posts. Um, so I will get all of that created um, and uh, sent out to everyone probably tomorrow. Um, I will get working on that today um, and tomorrow and get all of that sent out to everyone. Um, I'll email you the link when it, once it's done. Um, do. <laughs> your socials. Um, Again, uh, we are <laughs> so over time. Thank <laughs> you so much again for coming and chatting with me. Um, it has been an absolute blast. And <laughs> we probably could have talked for four hours more. Um, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, sadly enough, um, the, uh, the web will kick us off um, here in just a little bit. But um, I do try to keep my podcast recordings to about an hour. So oh, yeah, very fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, don't want to overwhelm everybody else, but it has been so much fun. Thank and you. thank Same you. Um, thank you again. And I will talk to you soon. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>